Um, good morning, church. Um, it is a pleasure to be back on the island. Uh, we're in this series of the Gospel of Mark. Um, so if you have your Bibles or your devices, if you can turn with me to chapter 2, and we're going to be camping out in the first 12 verses. That's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. First, though, let's pray to the Lord. Father, we come before you this morning with our hearts and our Bibles open. And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us. This morning, morning, Lord, I pray that you would wreck us once again. That we would be able to be in awe of your goodness and your grace. And let everything said and thought of today be for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Daniel Aiken is the president of the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary up there in Wake Forest. And he said recently this, that all of us in this room, at some point in our lives, have to ask ourselves two critical questions. And they are, can my sins be forgiven? And who who can forgive those sins? And the very fact that we have to ask that question shouldn't surprise us, does it? Because sin is our greatest problem. Sin is our greatest enemy, and it separates us from God. Paul says it leaves us spiritually dead. And if left unforgiven, we are destined for eternal life in a place called hell. Sin shatters relationships. It causes us to think foolishly. It leads us to make bad choices, and it moves us to act in such evil and destructive ways. Can my sins be forgiven? And the Bible has wonderful news for us this morning. Yes, we can. Who can forgive us? God. The God who is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Mark declares that right off the bat in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He is the Holy One of God, as the demon in the the synagogue declared in verse 24 of chapter 1. And he is the Son of Man, which we're going to read about in verse 10 today, who has come to take away the sins of the world. He is the only one who can deliver me from the penalty of sin, providing for my justification. He is the only one who can deliver me from the power of sin, ensuring my sanctification. He is the only one who can deliver us from the presence of sin, fulfilling the promise of our future glorification with him. And in light of who Jesus is and what he can do, our text this morning provides an appropriate response for us. This morning, I want to touch on three things. First, I want to touch on how the church needs to bring hurting people to Jesus. We should be doing that all the time. Secondly, the church needs to 
to realize Jesus for who he actually is. And Thursday, uh, Thursday, and finally, thirdly, Sunday, right? Finally, the church should glorify Jesus in what he does. Amen? So let's read our text this morning. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum, or Capernaum, after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic man who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, pick up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amazing passage. So let me say this. The first thing that we need to understand is the church needs to bring the hurting people to the place where God's word is taught. Amen. And and I don't know if you know that there are plenty of hurting people out there. Heck, there are plenty of hurting people right here. And whether you're hurting physically, emotionally, or spiritually, we need to get these people to meet Jesus. Look at verse 1 again. It says, when he entered again into Capernaum after some days... It was heard that he was in the house. Jesus, in chapter 1, has established himself as a, as a rock star. And people are constantly coming into his presence. Last week, Pastor Caleb reminded us that Capernaum is the basically the home camp of Jesus' early ministry. So they're, again, in Peter's house, where Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And remember, after the Sabbath, when the sun had set, he healed many people. So now what we have here is a crowd of people gathering at the house, what we would call standing room only, and they were blocking the door. You know, in the Gospels, crowds often gathered around Jesus, didn't they? Because they were always responding to the miracles but not necessarily did they follow the word to become his disciples. They are sometimes passive and fickle. Does that sound familiar? 
Tony Moretta, in his recent book called Love Your Church, he spoke about this. He finished preaching in his church one Sunday, and as he walked down the steps of the platform, a woman came up to him and said, Pastor, enough of the teaching. We need to see more signs and wonders. The word is nice and everything, but we got to have more signs and wonders. Tony looked at the woman and said, do you see that couple in the front row? That mother and her daughter were recently evicted from their apartment. And I would consider it a sign and a wonder if you took them in for three months. Now, now let me say this. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. We are a church that believes in signs and wonders. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are alive and active. But what is foundational, what is the base of everything we do and say is based on the Word of God. You see what it says in verse 2? And he spoke the Word, the Logos to them. He preached to them. Speaking the Word is central to Jesus' ministry. He began his ministry in, in Capernaum uh, in the, with teaching the word with authority in the synagogue, you remember? And he cast out demons. And he, he left the, the Capernaum area so he might proclaim the message somewhere else. In other words, he went on a preaching tour. And now he's returned. And the people have all flocked to see him again. The crowd wants another miracle. What does it say? He preached the word to them. Preaching the word will also be central to the ministry of the church. Jesus both speaks the word and he is the word. And we need to get those who don't know him to him. Church has often been called a hospital for sinners, correct? We all need to be part of that hospital so that we can receive and we can facilitate healing in Jesus' name. We need to hear his teaching, guys. Now, we don't know what the Lord preached on that particular day, but we can safely say that he probably reached back into the Old Testament and preached the same thing that he preached in chapter 1, verse 14, where he talked about the kingdom of God, the power of God, and the salvation of God. Now listen to me. The primary purpose of this church is not to fulfill or fill up the pews or enhance our bank account. Those aren't bad things, by the way. But our primary business is the proclamation of this gospel. That's our primary role. That is what we're to be about. That is to be our business, and it is to be our only business. And thank God for an old-fashioned, Bible-believing church where preaching and worship is still the centerpiece of everything we do. Maureen and I are so blessed because CRC is that church. We need to hear God's word. We need to get people to hear God's word, whether it in a setting like this or whether by yourself 
preaching it to them. You're all called to be priests. We are a royal priesthood. So we need to be able to be faithful to Jesus as he was faithful to us. We also need to bring people to the church so that they can experience forgiveness. We've had a wonderful weekend here at the church with the Purity Conference. People need forgiveness. Look at verses 3 through 5. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So that when they had broken through. Let me say this. Somebody here today is stuck. Somebody here is facing circumstances and situations that you feel that you can't get out of, and you too need a breakthrough. And I tell you, you're in the right place because we serve the God of the breakthrough. So when they had broken through, they let the man, they let the man on the bed down. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Guys, I don't know about you, but when I picture this scene, I, I have a big smile on my face. Because then I can imagine Jesus teaching, and all of a sudden, dirt and debris start to fall on his tunic. Then I see large chunks of clay falling down, and a large shaft of light beams through the opening of the roof. And by now, more than likely, Jesus has abandoned his lesson, and everyone's craning their necks and murmuring. What in the world is going on? And finally, a homemade stretcher descended on four ropes bearing a paralytic. I can just imagine Peter. It's his house. My house, my house, Jesus is my homeowner is going to cover us because that's what I would be thinking. But Jesus saw their faith. Probably referring to all five men, but very at the very least encompassing the four friends who brought him. In either case, the Lord was impressed and he honored their faith by pouring out mercy on the paralyzed man. Now watch this. Jesus addresses him as son. He's revealing his great affection and compassion for this man's plight. And with his compassion, Jesus told the man, your sins are forgiven. Once again, I insert myself into this narrative. And I can imagine the paralytic saying, well, That's cool, Jesus. I appreciate the forgiveness of the sins. But I don't know if you notice. I can't stand. I can't walk. I can't run. I can't work. What I really need is to be healed. And this is very interesting because these men probably took the paralytic not wanting forgiveness, but wanting healing. However, Jesus gives them both. Son, your sins are forgiven you. 
This is a pastoral word to a man who was wounded both in body and in spirit. Now, there's a lot of commentators have a problem with this portion of the text. Based on what Jesus said in verse 14 of chapter 1, when he said, repent and believe, commentators wonder how Jesus can forgive this man who has not repented. And that's a sermon all by itself. And if you want to know the answer, I'm more than happy to give it to you. Just send me a line, Seth at ChristianRenewal.org. Verse 8 gives you a little inkling on how Jesus can do that. Also, Jesus' recognition of their faith would give you an indication how he could do that. Seeing the man's whole situation, Jesus lovingly looked past his surface need and met his deeper need. He looked past the man's immediate need and met his real need. Based on who he is and what he accomplished on the cross, Jesus extended to this paralyzed sinner God's full and complete pardon of sin. He may have needed healing, but even more, he, like all of us, need to experience the forgiveness made possible only by Jesus' finished work at the cross. This is why it is so important to bring the hurting, the lost, the least, the left out to the church. To be exposed to this God-man who will take you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is what happens when a lost and broken sinner meets the master. Each and every one of you here are a miracle. You were once blind, but now you see. You had nothing to do with your first birth, and you had nothing to do with your second birth. It was all by the power of God. Thank God that our Savior has the power to forgive sins. Thank God our Savior has the power to erase our past and hear me, Do away with our guilt. They are brought into perfect fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Secondly, we should see Jesus for who he truly is. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Surprising words. Outrageous words. Words that reach the ears of the theologians and the teachers. And they immediately understood the implication of Jesus' words. Look at verse 7. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And upon hearing Jesus forgive the man's sins, the scribes immediately accuse him of blasphemy the very charge that will eventually get Jesus crucified. Here we go, chapter 2 of Mark's gospel. The enemies of Jesus are finally revealed. And notice they haven't spoken a word yet. 
The text says they reasoned in their hearts. But nothing escapes Jesus. He knows. The scribes and the Pharisees, oh, they will begin to yell and scream at Jesus, screaming blasphemies to him. But here, it's an unspoken word. And the critics and the skeptics had no clue that Jesus was three chess moves ahead of them. He anticipated their reaction, and he supernaturally sensed their silent protests. And he intended to use this moment to reveal something about himself to the public for the very first time. Listen, he had already been identified as the Messiah by John the Baptist, right, in chapter 1. And some of his disciples followed him in that belief. Now he would personally claim equality with the Father. The Father had already said to Jesus, this is my beloved Son at his baptism, but Jesus had not yet affirmed his own deity in public to this point. So Jesus has a point to make. So he sees the opportunity to, to reason with the scribes and the Pharisees, Israel's authorities on all things religious. And he does so by asking them a profound question. Jesus always asked, answered a question with another question of his own, didn't he? Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say arise, take up your bed and walk? Jesus answers their unspoken questions with one of his own. Notice he doesn't ask what is easier to do, but what is easier to say. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? And in truth, we have to admit, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say, arise, pick up your bed and walk, right? Because observers have no way to verify whether the man's sins have been forgiven or not. But they can easily verify whether they can stand up, take up their mat, and leave. When Jesus says, pick up your bed and walk, he's sort of going out on the high wire without a net. Because if the man succeeds it will become obvious that Jesus is working by godly power and was therefore within his rights to say your sins are forgiven. However, if the man fails to stand, Jesus will be revealed publicly to be a failure and a blasphemer. So with this question, Jesus is proposing a verifiable test to his authority in the healing to authenticate that which cannot be verified in the forgiveness. By healing this man, Jesus proves that he was worthy of faith. He was proving that he was the Messiah. He was proving that he was the God-man, God in the flesh. 100% man, 
100% God. We need to realize who Jesus is. He is the creator of the cosmos. All things work according to his sovereign will. Thirdly and finally, we should glorify Jesus for what he does. In spite of the opposition from the religious leaders, this story does have a happy ending. Those who bring their hurting in faith to Jesus will never be disappointed. Listen to me. Faith is just not personal. It is communal. There are people in this church by community who pray every Saturday night for Pastor Caleb that his words would be anointed and he would move in the power of the Spirit. And God honors the prayer of the community of faith of the household of God. He also honors the prayer of a parent crying out to the Lord, save my child. Reveal yourself to them. Faith is not just personal. It's communal. William Lane, that great theologian, he says this, the announcement of forgiveness and the presentation of the radical healing to a man in his entire person was a sign that the kingdom of God has drawn near. The paralytic experienced the fulfillment of God's promise that the lame would share in the joy of the coming of the, of salvation. Listen, this is a fulfillment to Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 35, verse 6, that says, the lame will leap like a deer. Coming in faith to Jesus, this hurting man ex- received more than he expected and exactly what he needed. He received full forgiveness of sins. He and his friends believed Jesus could meet their their deepest needs. They were just simply wrong on what they really needed. There are people here in this church who still won't forgive themselves for the things that they've done in the past. Why won't you let it go? Jesus forgives you. As far as the east is from the west, he has cast all your sins in the sea of his forgetfulness. And then as Corey Ten Boom says, he put a, oh, excuse me, he put a no fishing sign up. They were just simply wrong in what they really needed. We all need forgiveness. Here's the breakthrough. We've already received it. Often, we think we know what our greatest need is. But really, we're only focusing on our circumstances, on our situations, right? And the reality, your problem today isn't your wife or your husband or your parent or your child. In reality, your problem isn't your work, your boss, or your co-workers. It's not your lack of resources or your shortage of time or insufficient income. Just like this young man, our greatest need is the Messiah himself. 
Jesus saw everything clearly, far more clearly than we could ever possibly see. And he used this teachable moment to make the point concerning our greatest need in this life and in the life to come. Jesus forgives the sins of all, not some, not many, of them all who come to him in faith. And as proof of his power to forgive sins, something we cannot see, Jesus healed that paralytic, something that everyone can see. And Jesus is simple and he is direct in his statement in verse 10. Watch this. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man responds with obedience of faith and does that in front of everybody. We have ministry opportunities. And sometimes people will sit in their chairs crying out to the Lord, but will not stand up and come out in front of everybody. I got a newsflash. We're all broken. We're all sinners. I've said this a hundred times. If you ever hear of a perfect church, don't go there. Because you'll ruin it. The response of the man and the crowd is appropriate. Even the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from Galilee, Judea, and as far away as from Jerusalem could not deny that the man had been healed and forgiven of his sins. Nor can they deny that it was done by this man called Jesus. They may not like it, but they could not deny it. In his classic work, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis gets to the heart of the identity of Jesus with his uh, famous trilemma. You remember that. It's where he pinpoints the astonishing claims of Jesus and carefully leads us to the logical and unavoidable conclusion to who Jesus is. Can I read it to you? It says, Among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. What this man said was, quite simply, the most shocking things ever ever uttered from human lips. And I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing about him that people often say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claims to be God. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said, he would either be a lunatic on a level of calling himself a poached egg, or else he would be the devil from hell himself. You must make your own choice. Either either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman, or something even worse. Listen, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and call him a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
but let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. Jesus is the God who forgives sins. And the question that we must face today is clear. Is he your God? Has he forgiven your sins? I want to give you three quick takeaways from today as Pastor Brad and the worship team make their way back up here this morning. First, by focusing on a paralytic, we learn that the deepest needs of our lives are not physical. They are spiritual, and they are invisible. That's the first thing we need to understand. Secondly, we can gain insight by looking at those Pharisees and those scribes. And what we learn is the first and earliest signs of a critical spirit are often hidden and unspoken. And then thirdly, we gain from focusing on Jesus himself. Real miracles are self-evident. Real miracles are not mere verbal exercises and hopes. They are actual and they are immediate. Maybe there is someone here today who is looking for a miracle. Maybe you think it's emotional, mental, or physical. But at its core, it's always spiritual. It's always been a matter of the heart. That's what Jesus is after. He's after your heart. 